Today, everyone, we are reading from Acts, chapter 27, starting at verse 9 and through to chapter 28, verse 10. Starting at chapter 27, verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Then a gentle south wind began to blow. They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Seatus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all.
Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the land. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Great. Thank you, Holly. Hi, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, I uh, just want to start off just uh, with a photo from five years ago, four years ago. Um, so this was a group of us um, down the bottom there in the stripy shirt and, and the lady next to him is Jeremy and Miriam Turvey uh, and their kids. Uh, and so four years ago, um, we commissioned them to head off to northwest China uh, to work amongst the Uyghur people. So it's a very remote part of China. And the Uyghur people are an Islamic minority group. So 10 million uh, Uyghur people living in a vast nation of uh, a billion people. Uh, and so for the last four years, they have done groundbreaking work in a very remote place. Uh, learning the language, learning the culture. You know, we've prayed for them. We've invested in their work. Uh, and then after it felt like the foundation had been laid, then we heard earlier this year that their visa has been denied. They're not allowed uh, back to minister in that part of China. In fact, the Uyghur people are under great persecution uh, and there's been a, quite, a, quite a crackdown. Many of them are in intern camps or, or re-education camps. Uh, and so here they, they came back to Australia a few months ago 
with the heartache of having invested so much in this work where they felt like this is you know where God's leading us uh, and they came back and it felt like all their work had come to nothing all the connections all the language learning uh, and it's one of those things where you, where you sort of ask the question well where does that fit into God's plan you know I can see how God's plan could be that they stayed there for a lifetime ministry and you know and saw people becoming Christian and so on but where does it fit into God's plan that they have to abandon their mission after four years after laying the platform uh, it's often a question we ask isn't it um, things happen in our lives so I want to tell you about um, my Bible study group my growth group I'm not going to tell you about individuals but um, over the course of this year Ruth and I run uh, Bible study groups on Friday night over the course of this year we have had members of our group chronically sick we've had members of our group involved in court cases uh, and not just one a number of those we've had people who have been bullied in workplace situations and have had toxic workplace environments marriage breakdown and the grief that comes with that family conflict unemployment and uh, just the heartache the uncertainty anyone want to join my group <laughs> sounds like a disaster group doesn't it um, loved ones dying one lady was nearly killed when a motorbike ac uh, careered into her on the streets of Thailand. And that's just our, Bible our Friday night Bible study groups, right? And, and, and it's not like we're a particularly, you know, suffering type prone group. Th this is the character of life in our world, isn't it? And so if I gathered up all your stories, we'd all have more that I could add uh, to that account. Um, and you, you ask the question, how does all that fit into God's plans? You know, I'm, here I am, I'm a child of God. You kind of want life to just be a breeze from then on, don't you? You know, you become a Christian. You kind of want just things to go easily from that point on. How can, how can good possibly come from all the heartache, all the setbacks that come our way? Uh, so there, that's sort of some of what we're going to wrestle with today. And we're wrestling with it because... Uh, the passage sort of throws all that up for us. I'm going to lead us in prayer because they're such important things for us to wrestle with. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do live in a, a broken world, uh, a world of chaos, a world of suffering and setback. And Father, often we're left asking questions. Father, we pray that your word will shine a light into our lives to bring us clarity to bring us hope uh, to bring us courage uh, in the midst of what we're whatever we're going through now and whatever we're going through in the future um, we pray uh, your work in our lives through jesus amen okay so this year um if you're just joining us today you know it's great that you're here um we're coming to the end of uh, following Paul, the life of Paul in the book of Acts. Uh, and so we followed his journeys as he's preached the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. Um, we've seen that Paul's life was marked by suffering, uh, just episode after episode, this, this suffering. So he sort of sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So I want you to turn over there in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. 
And uh, he just sort of lists out some of what he's gone through. Uh, I've been flogged, exposed to death. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. You see, just danger follows Paul wherever he goes. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Now I want, you to, I want to show you when Paul wrote that. So just show, show you on the map. So Paul went around preaching the gospel throughout um, Turkey, up into Macedonia and Greece, and then back across to Ephesus in Turkey. He wrote 2 Corinthians in 55 AD. So the year 55 AD is when he wrote of all the sufferings that he's been through. From that point on, he then travels from Ephesus across the Mediterranean and he arrives in Jerusalem. Uh, when he arrives, he's trying just to keep his head down. He's following religious, Jewish religious rituals there. He wants to share the gospel with the Jews and share what God's been doing. But chaos erupts in the city of Jerusalem. Many of his fellow Jews want to kill him. Um, literally, they try to rip him apart. Um, he was beaten, falsely imprisoned. And then over a two-year period, he stood trial a number of times uh, before Felix and Festus, the Roman governors, before the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, before King Herod Agrippa, the Jewish king. Uh, and, and during that whole period, there'd, there'd been this bunch of 40 young, zealous Jewish men who said, we are not going to eat or drink anything until we kill the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know whether they lasted the two years. I don't, don't know what happened, but they had, they had made a very sincere devotion to God and a, and a vow we will not eat or drink until we've killed Paul. Um, and so in today's passage, Paul will be sent as a prisoner to Rome to stand trial before uh, Caesar, the Roman emperor. And you kind of think, well, surely, surely Paul has had enough suffering. Surely there could be an easy passage from Jerusalem to Rome. He needs a bit of a cruise, not a, not a harsh journey but no, there is more to come, isn't there? And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, is with Paul in this journey across the Mediterranean. So you'll notice as uh, Luke writes this, he talks about what happened to us. And he said, we did this. It's because he was there on the boat with Paul. So by the time, show you on a map, by the time they arrived in Crete, uh, in the middle there, um, it was coming into winter. So it was not far from this time. It was about October, uh, but winter in, in this part of the world. The winds were too dangerous to sail during winter. And so Paul warns the crew, verse 9, chapter 27, verse 9, much time had been lost. 
Sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and it will bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. Right? A clear, strong word, but everyone ignores what Paul says. Uh, they don't hold him uh, in any esteem at this point. And so they ignore what he says. They press on. The ship gets caught in a hurricane. The crew desperately try, try to resist. Uh, and as we heard, it's 14 days of relentless batterings by the storm and where they're desperately, you know, they tie ropes around the hull of the boat to sort of keep it together. They throw all their cargo overseas, uh, uh, overboard. Uh, and there they go across the open sea uh, into the unknown. Um, and so everyone's given up hope after 14 days. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And again, you ask the question, well, how does this fit into God's plan? Right? God's in control of everything. Why is he allowing all this chaos to happen, especially for his servant, Paul? Now, I'm going to make three points today. Three points that sort of flow out of the context of this passage. Um, but there's lots more you could say about this question of suffering and why God allows suffering. But we're just going to uh, address part of that question today. And the first thing to say is, our weakness compels us to depend on God's strength. Right? Our weakness compels us to depend on God's strength. Paul, Paul knew this. He had learned this lesson five years earlier. So when, when he was in um, Ephesus, writing to Corinthians, he speaks of all his sufferings and setbacks. Um, and he cries out, he, he explains how he cried out to Jesus. He said, please, Jesus, remove this thorn, this suffering from my flesh. And uh, I've, I've got it in your outline because it's such a great little passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus answers Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and so paul says therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties for when i am weak then i am strong see jesus used the suffering in Paul's life, the setbacks, to teach Paul to trust him. Uh, so when he went through trials and sufferings, it didn't derail Paul in his faith. It actually strengthened his faith because he realized, I, I, need, I need more than me. I, I'm out of control in this situation. I need God's help. Now at this point... Um, I want to introduce you to a good mate of mine who was a school friend of mine. So during high school, I was at Queanbeyan uh, and, and a schoolmate of mine uh, named Jeff. Uh, he was Maltese. Um, and I've got a couple of videos from him because he um, came and visited me a few weeks ago and stayed the night with us. And it was really lovely to spend some time with him. But I had the privilege of introducing Jeff to Jesus during university. So here's um, the first video. Uh, and uh, you can listen to what Jeff has to say. 
Well, I was brought up in a, a family that was quite religious, going to um, Catholic Mass a lot. Uh, but at university, I, um, I uh, met a friend, I don't know whether you know him, Dave Sheath, and um, he, uh, he started wanting to do Bible studies with a friend, and the friend knocked him back, and I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. So we looked at who was God, who was, uh, who was I, who is Jesus, and how we're right with God. And basically I thought, wow, I am a sinner. The Holy Spirit convicted me there and then, and I knew I needed a saviour. But I, I didn't want him to be Lord of my life. I was at uni and I had a nice car, girlfriend, job, teaching the piano, passing my exams. But then one night coming back from church, I was on and off church, because he introduced me to a good church where I was. And um, I like racing and driving cars. Actually, I just got my license back because I, I lost it. I got uh, booked twice in two minutes and uh, had a fight with a policeman. So uh, I was driving to church by myself uh, and some other people decided that's not a good idea and drove me to church but then I, when I got my license back I was coming home from church one day about 10.30 at night and there was a nice car beside me and I, we started racing I thought this guy he's got a nice car he can go fast on the straights but let's see how he goes on the corners that's that's a good driver isn't it and so he wasn't good on the corner so I overtook him and then on the straight he overtook me again and then another corner came and I overtook him again and then the road had just been tarred and it started spraying all these rocks on his car. And I love cars, so I backed off. I didn't want to damage his car. Well, he didn't want his car damaged either, so he blocked the two-lane dual carriageway in front of me. 10.30 at night, five men came out of the car, started running towards me. I decided to chuck a U and go up the dual carriageway the wrong way. He started following me for a while until cars started coming our way, and I just dodged a few cars. He stopped. My heart was pounding big time, and then I sort of decided to go another way home and he he knew I was doing that so as I was coming on this road I thought wow that looks like the car that was just chasing me and he, he changed onto my lane and started coming towards and I started going to 120 130 towards him he wasn't backing off I wasn't backing off and at the last minute he he, he turned off and then he chucked to you and started chasing me and I knew he was good on the straights but not good on the corners I just lost him on the corners uh, but I, wor I worked out I was lost I thought uh, I was doing a good job myself. I didn't need God to boss me around, but I wasn't doing a good job of my life. I knew I needed a savior, I needed, knew I needed forgiveness, but right then on there I said, oh, I need a Lord. And so uh, it's a package deal. If he's your savior, he needs to be your Lord because you're saying, no, I've done things wrong. I need a savior, I want to turn your way. And that night I prayed in the car uh, and uh, yeah. Okay, so there you go. You get to listen to a bit more from Jeff uh, a bit later on. Uh, but how would you feel, hey? You're driving down you know, a road and, and the road's blocked and uh, five angry men come out and they start running towards you and you know, you, you know you've ticked them off. Like You'd be petrified, wouldn't you? Uh, and then the, the, imagine the adrenaline as you're driving up the wrong way, dodging cars the wrong way up the freeway. And then, minutes later, they're coming at you, 120 kilometres an hour, both cars at each other. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, in, in amongst the terror of that moment, he looks back and sees that as one of the highlights of his life. Uh, and it's because God used the crisis to teach Jeff that he wasn't in control of his life. Uh, he needed to surrender 
you know, he'd been fighting with God. He knew God, he, he was happy with the idea of Jesus as saviour, but he, he hadn't humbled himself before Jesus as his Lord and his King. And that night he, he stopped in his car and prayed to Jesus, I, I give it to you, I give over. Uh, and he looks back on that, that terrifying night with real joy because that was the night he was born again. He became a child of God. God used the crisis of that night uh, to bring him to that point of surrender to him. Now, that's, that's the same point that Paul had realized early, years earlier when he says, when I am weak, he is strong. Our weakness compels us to depend on God's strength. And I want to ask, have you learned that in your life? Right, it's so important to learn that. And I want to encourage you, learn it now because uh, you don't want to have to go through experiences of massive heartache to, to get to that point. Like some people who resist, resist, resist. God in his kindness will break them. Uh, but it is, it is a painful thing. Uh, and, and so I want to just encourage you, today is the day. Just humble yourself before God. You're not in control, but Jesus is Lord God rules our universe, and today is a great day just to say, I surrender, you know, and uh, I'm going to give it over to him. When we are weak, God is strong. So back to the passage here. In the midst of the terrifying storm, Paul speaks up. Verse 21, men, you should have taken my advice, right? This is what I say at home all the time. Kids, should have listened to me, but anyway... I I don't get a good reception for when I say this. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So everyone else has given up hope. They think they're going to die. But Paul speaks with composure and courage. And you go, what, what is it that sets him apart? What allows him to have such composure and courage in the midst of such chaos when everyone else is petrified for their lives? Well, the answer is, it's all about God's promises. So ne next slide. It is God's promises that bring composure and courage in the midst of the chaos. So have a look at verse 23 where Paul He's talking to the crew. He says, last night an angel of, the, of God, angel of the God whom, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. You will make it to Rome. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who save, sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island right so here's the desperate circumstances but paul trusts the word of god he knows that god when he when god gives a word of promise he is faithful and so he can be trusted and so we can have courage and composure in the midst of chaos uh, and from this point on it's interesting even though paul is a prisoner he is clearly the one in charge he's the leader you know he in verse 31 he calls everyone together oh sorry the sailors are looking to abandon ship and he says if you abandon ship you'll die all right you need to stay with the ship 
In verse 34, he says to all the people on, the, on board, you've got to eat. Because you haven't been eating, you need to eat to survive. You know, we're going to have to go through a shipwreck. You need your strength. Uh, and then the ship smashes into a sandbar. In the midst of the shipwreck, the soldiers want to kill the soldiers. Uh, sorry, the, the soldiers want to kill the prisoners. Um, but the centurion intervenes and he, he says, we need Paul. And so he saves Paul's life at this point. The men on the ship all manage to somehow scramble or swim ashore. Every man makes it to safety, just as God had promised. But I want you to notice the contrast between Paul and every other person on that boat. Um, They all endured the same hurricane. They all felt the gut-wrenching nausea of being pounded by the seas day after day for 14 days. They all experienced the terror of running aground, jumping into the surging seas. Imagine how horrifying that would be. Just jumping where you just don't know where you're going to land. Paul faced the whole, things with, the whole thing with this composure and courage and confidence that set him apart. And it's because he knew God's word that every man on board would be spared. Every man would be saved. And that gave him purpose braveness he still had to go through the sufferings the trials the difficulties but he did it with a very different attitude to everybody else on board now that is the same sort of confidence that ought to mark our lives as christians Um, we don't know the precise details of god's plan for each of our lives i I can't tell you that Um, but we do have god's wonderful promises that frame our whole lives so I want to remind you of three, uh, and they're printed in your outline there. And these are like my go-to promises of God. You know, when, when life is tough, these are passages I go back to again and again. I want to start with the Romans 8 one. This is the words of Paul himself. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is a great promise of God, isn't it? And Paul's speaking because he knows God, but he also is speaking from personal experience. Yes, in all things, even when we can't see the good, we know that God is working good in all circumstances. And so we just need to trust him in it, uh, trust his faithfulness to us. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me now sometimes we will feel god forsaken sometimes it will feel like my prayers go out there and i don't hear an answer Uh, but we need to trust god's promise he said never will i leave you never will i forsake you i'm your father i will carry you through this life safely to the next and so let's not fear what others can do to us god our father cares for us and he's bringing us through and and john chapter 14 this is what jesus said on the night before he died don't let your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me my father's house have has many rooms if that were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
I love this promise because it's Jesus' promise that even though he was going and he would die on that very night, he was going to prepare a place in God's eternal home. And what it means is that all of us who trust in Jesus, we have a promised certain place in God's family home, a place where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So whatever the journey of this life involves, whatever sufferings and setbacks there are, the destination is certain because the home has been prepared, our room's ready for us in our Father's home. They're great promises, aren't they? And what they do is they strengthen us in the midst of chaos. Um, Yes, we will face similar trials to those around about us. You know, we're, we're not immune from the suffering of our world, but we can face them with a very different attitude. We can face our trials with composure and courage, confident that God is with us, that he will never forsake us, that he will work good even in the most unlikely looking situation and that he will bring us safely home. Uh, and that makes all the difference. Uh, and we just got to keep reminding each other of this because... There will be situations, and maybe you're in it at the moment, where you can feel overwhelmed. And what we need to do is not trust what we see around about us, but trust the, the, what we hear from God in his word. Trust the promises of God. I um, just want to tell you a, a brief story. Um, John Newton, 1748. John Newton was the captain of a slave ship. It was struck by a devastating storm. Uh, similar to what Paul went through. Uh, it was off the coast of Africa. It was a slave, uh, a slave ship. Newton turned to God as his only hope in the midst of the storm. He cried out, please God rescue me. And God answered his prayer. And it was out of that experience that he wrote the song Amazing Grace, uh, which we all sing and love. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see now i want you to have a look down at the bottom of your outline because um it really echoes the sort of things we're talking about this morning through many dangers toils and snares i have already come tis grace tis god's kindness that has brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home um They're beautiful words and they're true for us just like they were true for Newton, just like they're true for Paul. And that is, what's going to bring us safely through this life is God's kindness, God's promises, God's goodness to us. And we just need to trust him in the midst of the chaos. Now I want to come back to my mate Jeff. um, Because when he came to my place a few weeks ago, it was because he just had um, open heart surgery. And um, his family had returned to Malta, but he had to stay and recover after his operation. Uh, And so uh, here's a bit of a video. Ah, this is the shirt I got at an IFES conference. It's a a student European conference. Um, I did a two-day seminar there on evangelism because it's saying we want to be undivided in our heart to the Lord not compromise. He's worthy of our praise and our service. So that was the whole conference is about and we want others to see how awesome he is. So share with them, live it out amongst people undividedly. 
Um, but this also meant something different to me. I was back in Australia here, uh, sharing about what's happening in Malta to get people's prayers and support. And I wore this to my doctor's appointment, my cardiologist. And he actually said, I'm gonna actually cut you right down the middle where your T-shirt is there, because we need to operate on your heart. It's not going well. Um, and we need to do it next week. You could have died any time last year of a heart attack. Um, so that gave me a big shock. And I knew God was in control, and I knew if I was going to be with the Lord, that was great. But I felt <laughs> I had a wife and three children that I loved and I want to support and nurture and keep modeling about Christ to them. So I'm so thankful now, after the operation, seven weeks, I'm going well. My heart is uh, strong physically and spiritually, it's even stronger. I want to have an undivided heart for Him. And that's what I want to encourage you to as well. He is well worthy of our, our praise and our honor and our service and our trust and our joyful obedience because he's a great, great God. You see it on the cross. Just need to look back there. You can't pull that cross out and say he never loved me. That's the mark, not in black and white, in red and white of his love for you, his commitment for you. So let's be undivided for him. Tell other people about him. Live for him. It's best for us. It glorifies him. And it's awesome for the people around us. Let's go for it. Very passionate guy, isn't he? So uh, uh, we did that in one, all in one take, you know. So he's just uh, he's a great talker. But um, I just want to give you a bit more context. So um, Jeff's forty nine years old, so same age as me. Um, Jeff's dad died of a heart attack when he was forty nine. So so Je um, Jeff went through high school without a dad. Uh, so single mum looking after four boys. Um, uh, and so the Jeff endured that grief and just uh, had a real concern for his own kids and didn't want to see his own kids have to go through the same experience because they're basically the same age as he was. Um, and, uh, but it, it, I, I, talking to Jeff both before and after his surgery, uh, it, was it was such an encouragement because he really captured what we're talking about this morning. That is, God's promises bring composure and courage in the midst of the chaos. So here he was about to face surgery, and he was the one who was bringing joy and hope to everyone else. You know, And just talking to him on the phone, it's just like I, I went away feeling just so deeply encouraged because he, he, he was taking hold of the promises of God and they were giving him a, a, a really healthy composed courageous attitude as he faced the uncertainty of um, open heart surgery uh, and it's because he trusts the promises of God that he's got a home prepared for him in heaven um, and so Jeff's main fear was about his wife and children and how hard it would be for them uh, to grow up without a dad uh, God's promises bring composure and courage in the midst of the chaos. Yes, is that true? Yeah? Okay. Now, you sort of nod that that's true, but it is hard, isn't it? In the midst of difficulties and setbacks, we need to keep reminding each other uh, of these things and take them to heart because it is so easy to feel overwhelmed and let circumstances dominate rather than the promises of God. So, the island where... Paul Renegrown turns out to be Malta. Uh, the islanders are welcoming, and amidst the rain and the cold, 
The shipwrecked crew gather around a fire uh, to keep warm. As Paul gathers some firewood, a snake latches on to his, uh, to his arm. The Maltese locals see the snake. They know this is a poisonous, a deadly snake. They figure this is fate. This is destiny catching up with Paul. So verse 4, When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But rather than Paul keeling over and dying, he just shakes the snake off as if nothing has happened. And so the locals are like, whoa, they change their attitude very quickly. Verse 6, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. And so there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, showed his generous hospitality for three days. His father was ill in bed. Uh, Paul went in, laid hands on him, healed him. And when this had happened, as you can imagine, the whole island, anyone who's sick comes and gets cured from Paul. Uh, And verse 10, they honoured us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. Brings us on to the third point, and that is God uses his servants. God uses his servants to display his power in the midst of the chaos. God uses us, his children, uh, to display his power in the midst of the chaos. Um, And I just want to illustrate that with Paul. So when Paul left Jerusalem... He left as a prisoner. People despised him. Uh, He was mistreated. His opinion was ignored, even though he was impressing on them. Don't sail. It's a bad time to sail. Uh, It's going to turn out badly for us. They ignored his opinion. And yet by the time he leaves Malta, he's still a prisoner, but he's become the hero. He's become the key man, he's, he's become the man they all look to for leadership. Uh, very ironic, isn't it? A prisoner is the one people are looking to for leadership, but there's an honour that they regard his opinion highly. See, Paul's courage, his composure, his integrity has shone through um, and sh- uh, lasted the test of time. And he he has displayed God's power in the midst of the chaos and God wants us to do the same. God wants to shine a light through us into our community. So as we go through our trials and setbacks that life is going to throw at us, we just need to keep praying, Dear God, help me to endure those things with courage and composure. Help me to keep trusting your promises in the midst of the storm. And as we do, it will be an incredible testimony to those around about us of the goodness and the power uh, of God, our Saviour. So at this point, I want to show you my final video of my mate Jeff. Um, So he's Maltese. After he became a Christian, he felt compelled to return to Malta to share the gospel with them. So he works for CMS, the Church Missionary Society. So this is the last of my... Uh, videos of Jeff. The Apostle Paul, he got uh, shipwrecked there. He didn't travel in first class, but his attitude was certainly first class. And um, wherever he was, he was sharing the gospel, which was great. And so 
Publius father was sick he was the governor of the island and so he healed him and would have shared the gospel with him no doubt uh, the Catholics think the Roman Catholic theology came to Malta there but what I do 2,000 years later I say well you want to know what Paul taught what he did then have a look at Galatians with me have a look at Romans with me that's his heart and it goes to the heart of the gospel basically those passages so what we want is basically we want more Maltesers in heaven this sword but the real sword as well and so every time you see some Maltesers this is for the gluten-free people see Maltesers or lactose intolerant pray for us every time you eat Maltesers for the rest of you I'm very inclusive notice that every time you see or eat Maltesers please pray for us in Malta even my head I've made it you know branding look like a Malteser okay so there it all goes so that's what we we do in Malta anybody that's breathing I'll talk to them about Jesus basically very simple 101 stuff okay so there you go it's lovely to be able to share that with you so we started with this question how does that fit into God's plan so many situations in life leave us wondering that uh, and you might be in that situation now uh, you no doubt will have felt some sort of despair in the past or you will in the future um, what we've been reminded of this morning is three great truths that we need to keep reminding each other of because uh, we will forget because that's what happens in times of difficulty isn't it you actually forget the good things you forget the promises of God uh, so here's the three truths our weakness compels us to depend on God's strength um, so often we go through life as if we are in control and sometimes it's when we're broken and weak where we realize I desperate I, Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you uh, and he is he is a good father he loves us as his children to call on him for the things we need uh, he loves to help his children secondly God's promises bring composure and courage in the midst of the chaos uh, and so just hold on to the promises of God Rem memorize them or put them up on your wall if any of you are into cross stitch or you know embroidery right on your wall what a great promise Romans 8 28 you know God works for good in all things well, Hebrews 13 never will I leave you never will I forsake you I've got to hold on to that promise uh, that God is with me through the storm and the promise of Jesus uh, that he has gone and he has prepared a place for us so whatever happens in this life the future is our future destination is certain and no one can take that away from us uh, and that'll allow us to live life with composure and courage to actually have a different attitude than the people around about us and that that leads to the third thing God uses his servants to display his power in the midst of the chaos so just like Jeff in Malta so we too are called to be a light to our region to shine the light to demonstrate God's power in our lives in the midst of the chaos our community desperately needs to hear about Jesus that's why we keep raising these opportunities how many opportunities have you got Christmas, carols, all the December meetings, Good News Week, all the January services. And in fact, any Sunday you can bring people along to church or just share a testimony of, your, of God's work in your lives. Um, but I just want to point out, we don't run these things for you, right? You're welcome to come along and you know, we want you to be part of it all, right? So we want you to be there. 
but we run them so that you can bring others along because we want to share this good news of Jesus with, with as many as we can. Just listen to this last bit of the video again. Just next next slide there. Uh, we might so that's what we, we do in Malta. Anybody that's breathing, I'll talk to them about Jesus, basically. Very simple, 101 stuff. Okay, so there you go. Very simple 101 stuff. What is it? Everyone who's breathing, tell them about Jesus. Right? Because that's what they need. Anyone who's breathing, that's what they need more than anything else to know about the Lord Jesus. That's our mission here. So I'm going to pray for us and for uh, Jeff and his family in Malta. Will you pray with me? <coughs> God, our Father, we want to thank you so much that you understand uh, the chaos of our lives. Father, sometimes it's chaos we bring on ourselves through our own actions. Sometimes it's chaos that comes through the evil or the injustices, the self-centeredness of others. Sometimes it's just this broken world that we live in. And Father, we know that there is also an enemy uh, Satan himself who rages against your children. Uh, Father, we pray that in the midst of the chaos, we will not be overwhelmed, that we will not despair. We pray that in our weakness, we will turn to you because your power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, that we can trust that you are the mighty God, you are the victor. You're the one who can safely bring us through this life. And Father, we pray that we will have composure and courage because of your promises, because of what Jesus has done to secure us a place in heaven, uh, knowing that you are with us, you will never leave us or forsake us. You will make things turn out for our good. So please help us to trust you in the midst of that. And Father, we pray that even in this region we live, that we will be a light to our region, that we will talk to anyone, everyone about Jesus, to share the good news with them, to invite them to come and hear the good news. Thank you that we have so many opportunities. We do pray that we will do what we, what we can to make the most of every opportunity. Please give us a courage, a boldness, uh, help us to shine as lights. And we pray for that for Jeff and Robin and his family in Malta. Uh, we pray that, uh, yeah, that, that place where your gospel came so many hundreds of years ago, we pray that the light of the gospel will continue to impact that community deeply, that you will continue to strengthen Jeff and Robin and their children to shine as lights as they hold out the word of God there. Pray that you'll have mercy on that, uh, that country. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.